Good evening. Welcome. So I had a question this evening for Mary. I'll try to address that. Mary Kajai. <laughs> and um, the gist of her question um, concerns the fact that there are, well, some might say many paths. I would say there are not too many, actually, that have a transcendental efficacy, but there are some. There are more than one. And someone might have difficulty identifying with one particular path with the idea that in doing so, one would not be able to take advantage of what's spoken about in the other paths that are also leading to transcendence, if you will, that have transcendental efficacy or reach, and would thereby one would be at a disadvantage. Something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, like I said in the, at first in reiterating her her question, I don't think there are many paths that actually have transcendental reach. Um, so there are many paths, and uh, let's say religious or spiritual paths, but. Um, I would say that, that, that many of them don't, even in their own descriptions of themselves, posit a attainment that is um, supernatural, let us say. Many of them, for example, um, in, in the realm of self-help, which are often conflated with, uh, with spirituality, hmm. Um, have as their goal a kind of a, a, a balanced psychological perspective within this this world. Hmm? Feel good, good about yourself. Be balanced. All these things are you know valuable. It's useful to be a balanced person and so on and so forth. But uh, in that sector, for example, which is often conflated with spirituality, or people identify uh, the genre. And it's it's broad, but uh, speaking in broad terms of self-help as a spiritual path. Um, but the, in those traditions or those um, um, paths within that genre themselves do not posit that they're a goal that constitutes. Uh, transcendence. So, so what what do we mean then by transcendence? I guess that would be the the next thing uh, to address. Mm-hmm. And by that, the transcendentalists, if you will, mean um, uh, that In the broadest sense, that there is a tr- there is a realm of experience 
that transcends the natural world. And um, by contrast, in contrast, I should say, to the to the to all attainments within the natural world, that attainment is eternal. Everything that we attain here is here today, but it could be gone tomorrow. Even our very sense of self, as an American or Indian or man or woman, is subject to uh, to demise, right? Um, so, simply an improvement upon our physio-psychological sense of self, which is a good idea, doesn't in and of itself constitute uh, transcending that the limits of the biological, physiological, psychological sense of self, by which I think I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a, an African, an Indian, a South American, a North American, a North Carolinian, uh, I'm old, I'm young. All of those uh, things are subject to change, obviously. We think we're young, and then after a while we, we start to think that we're old. We think we're a daughter, and after some time we think we're a mother. And we're right in both instances, but uh, both of those identities kind of shift, change. Um, the, we could think of ourselves as, as a Democrat and we could become a Republican or an Independent or drop out altogether, which might, might not be a bad idea. And then the, we could change our citizenship, nationality. So as I often say, we think, without thinking about it, that I am this or I am that. Hmm? I'm American, I'm Indian, I'm man, I'm woman. We don't think that much about it, but we, we think and identify in that way. And all of the thises and the thats, if you will, that we identify with are subject to change. Hmm? Even if we don't try to change them, we might consciously want to change our nationality and become a Canadian, let's say, or whatever, hmm? from an American. We might consciously want to do that, let's say. Um, but even without consciously wanting to change, just by the force of material circumstances, the nature of the world, um, our sense of identity changes. Hmm. As I said, from young to old, and it's a, it's a different mindset, and there are many other examples. Hmm. So, while I'm not young or which am I young or I'm old I'm young at one time and old at another time am I a changing thing or is there something constant about me hmm? the transcendentalist perspective is that there's something constant in the world and it's us who is the observer of the ever-changing material phenomena hmm? trees turn into seeds right? turn into trees and dust to dust what do they say Ashes to ashes, something like that. The world that we're observing, hmm, there's two things we might say in life. What's out there, 
And who's asking the question? Which is what's in there? Which is a bigger question. Hmm? Without understanding who's asking the question and what that is, the inquirer, the observer, we may not get an accurate understanding of what's out there. Hmm? But that's another lecture. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting, no doubt. Hmm. But what's out there from our experience is subject to transformation. Seasons change, uh, political circumstances change, geography changes, islands go into the ocean and come back out again, and so on and so forth. So what we, we observe in objective world, we as the subject, the unit of subjective content, observe an objective world that in a general sense is constantly in flux, changing. You can't rely upon it. Hmm. You could build your dream house in California and it could fall in the ocean. You know, any, we, 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 we still try to do these kind of things and secure our position, but if we are honest to our perception and pay attention to it, well, <laughs> we think this, uh, this, this, there's danger at every step to be secure, to get firm standing on the ground that's constantly shaking hmm, is, uh, is, is not, uh, not a good idea and it's not possible. Hmm, right? So this, this perspective is the transcendentalist perspective who loses interest to a large extent in trying to do that, hmm, trying to be secure hmm, through manipulating the what's out there, hmm, trying to be happy by acquiring things from the objective world and adding them onto myself, hmm, 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 trying to be... Uh, uh, um, trying to know... We're trying to be against an apparent threat that we may not be if we don't get busy being. <laughs> and we try to be happy. We try to be loved. Same idea. But we try it in relation to things that inherently are not happy. The floor is not inherently happy. Neither the chair. Neither... Anything in the objective world, matter, let's call it, is not, doesn't contain happiness. Hmm? But we think that by acquiring something, we will become happy. We think that by some arrangement of securing ourselves, we, we, we'll, we'll be. Hmm? Often we think that, we, that our... Um, our being will be enhanced by having. That's not a fact. Having will not enhance our sense of being. Hmm. We want to be, we want to know, we want to love. In the transcendentalist state, stop trying to be in the way that you are. Stop trying to be happy or loved in the way you pursue it in relation to that what's out there. Hmm? 
Stop trying to know through examining what's out there and understand that you are a unit of being, of knowing and in loving. The Sanskrit term sat, chit, ananda. You are a unit of this. And you've identified, you the observer, with what's out there, which is constantly in flux, and you're thinking, I am this or I am that. So what, it's a question I often ask, but what is constant in all of our thinking that I am this or I am that? I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that. I'm American, I'm Canadian, I'm a Republican, I'm Democrat, I'm independent, I'm man, I'm a woman, I'm young, I'm old. All these are thises and thats. So I am this, I am that, repeated a thousand times. What's constant in all of that change is that I am. That thises and the thats are always changing. But I am is not changing. So I am not this or that. I am not what is being observed out there. I am the observer. These are just basic uh, uh, conclusions of what we would call uh, a transcendentalist. Hmm? Therefore, simply improving my sense of I am this or I am that hmm, is not in itself a, a transcendental uh, attainment. It's not a bad thing. It may be good, and we have to do that to some extent. Hmm? But uh, the transcendentalist perspective is there's more to be to, to, to be had than this or that, and it's you, hmm? and separating you from the this or the that, and what what an adventure that could be, that what kind of a prospect that would be. Now, rather than focusing our attention on the ever-changing material phenomena, what's out there, we're going to explore the mysterious inner landscape. We have a saying, go within or go without. Hmm. <laughs> if you don't go within, <laughs> you go without. Hmm. There's a saying in the Bible, as much as Jesus was a transcendentalist, because we're talking about different paths, right? Hmm? We would look at him as such. He said, What profiteth a man, and I never read the whole book, or, but I know a few verses. What profiteth a man, or I might add, or a woman, if they gain the whole world hmm? at the cost of knowing themselves, the soul? Hmm? And this is the trade-off. Do you want the world? Or do you want yourself? Well, I'll tell you one thing. You can't have the world. <laughs> Even if you want it. <laughs> you can have a part of it for a short period of time and then it will be gone. Slip through your hands. Hmm? <laughs> but you can have yourself. You, you ha that's all you really have is yourself. Hmm? So we need a clearer picture. What is the self? It's not this. And it's not that. So many of the things that are in the marketplace out there as spiritual paths don't speak about this. That doesn't make them bad, but it but it doesn't make them uh, um, paths for 
one who considers themselves a transcendentalist. Transcendentalist is a term, it's a Western term that um, probably has its origins with um, Thoreau, Emerson, writers from the 19th century, mm-hmm. uh, great uh, uh, literateurs, <laughs> and uh, they were termed the first American transcendentalists. They had some ties to an interest in Eastern spirituality, Hinduism, the Bhagavad Gita, Thoreau wrote about, read, studied, commented about. Kipling is another one. Hmm? I think he, he might have been British. I'm not sure. Rudyard Kipling. Hmm? In his poem, If, for example, Judy, what's her name? Joni, Joni, Joni Mitchell. Not long ago, I put that, she's a singer, songwriter, from my era, uh, wrote a song in more recent times, put that song, Kipling's If, to, to music. Hmm? The basic idea in his, in his poem is, if you were to do this, if you were to do that, if you could do this, if you could do that, and the this and the that in his poem is, if you could walk uh, amongst, um, what does he say, um, the poor, and not feel above them. Hmm? If you, if, he's talking about in his poem, if you could be equibalanced in the midst of the dualities of material existence hmm? and not be affected by them. Hmm? It's basically right out of the Bhagavad Gita, this poem. If you could be balanced amongst all the dual, if you could be rich but not proud, hmm? if you could be poor but not sad or something like that. It's a beautiful poem, and he basically um, casts these polar opposites uh, and and the position of not being affected by one or the other adversely, but being balanced in both. Then you would really be a human in the full sense of the term. And the transcendentalist perspective, which he had to some extent, was is that we are humans, hmm? And that human life gives us the opportunity to transcend the limits of humanity. From animality, we come to humanity. We are a more complex animal. Hmm? And sometimes thought of as a rational animal. So if we are to be fully human, it's ironic to think that being fully rational makes one human. (laughs) Because the more rational you are, the less human in one sense you are. Ask uh, Captain Kirk against Dr. Spock, for example. (laughs) So the the more rational you are, in one sense, the less human you are, the less emotional you are, the less, less you are tossed and turned in the sea of material emotions. Hmm? But we all think that rationality and objectivity hmm, brings us closer to truth. You follow? In the political field, for example, you, you have to be objective. 
to be a you can't be swayed by this corporation or that corporation or this bias or that bias hmm? right that's the, that's the theory that's the uh, in science you can't be you just got to follow the facts wherever they take you hmm? so that type of objectivity which caused you to withdraw back from your emotional perspective i like this i don't like that it's universally accepted we don't think about it so much in this terms but it's universally accepted in human society that if we are too much liking this and not liking that we are not going to be able to have the clearest picture on the nature of being or reality or if in science i like this well you, you know you may like it to be like this but the facts from your observation in a in a in a controlled experiment say otherwise so you have to give up your feelings how you thought it should be and accept the facts hmm? so we're stepping back from our emotional invested emotional sense of reality to an objective sense of reality employing our rationality and we say humans are rational animals if we do that hmm it's thought as i'm giving examples relatively speaking we come closer to truth hmm? in yoga in transcendentalism all the real schools of transcendentalism hmm? this same principle is supplied hmm? we call it detachment for example or renunciation hmm? jesus said uh, you know give up the world and follow me or something like that uh, anyway not exact paraphrasing <laughs> that's another one i quoted that one earlier but yeah um so to let go less is more right these kind of ideas you can find find that in buddhism you can find in esoteric christianity in sufism here are a few paths that posit transcendental attainment Hmm. Hmm. Now if we if we exercise our rationality, hmm, while we may rise above our feelings and have a more objective picture, hmm, we also have to rise or I would say as humans message coming in <laughs> as humans i would say we are not just rational animals we also have the capacity to love now what are you talking about you just said transcend your emotions be rational hmm? so i think that there the emotional realm that is irrational hmm is not where you can find love but there's a semblance of love a shadow it looks like love hmm? that's why even in psychology we learn that well if you're too emotionally needy you're not in a position to go and look for a partner who's going to fill you up because that's not what it's all about partnership <laughs> 
you've got to you've got to give as much you got to give sacrifice for your for your partner and she for you and and so on and so forth and, and she's not or he's not just some object that's going to work for you a toy to, to patch you up so you need to get a little bit psychologically whole then you're in a better position to have a relationship with someone where there's give and take and and so forth. If you're too much needy and on the take, then you're not going to be able to give and, and be part of of the relationship, right? So even within what I would call a shadow of real love, there's still a sense that you have to factor some reason into your into your into your loving and not just be just taken by your feelings i mean you can't just jump on her in the mall i like you <laughs> you know, you'll be arrested right so uh on one level or another we have to factor into our love hmm, some some our, our heart our head we can't just throw our head out entirely hmm so when we're taking this to, to, a, to a higher level and we're saying that all this emotional life hmm, is all within the, the sense of I am this or I am that. With good reasoning, we know, well, I'm not this or that. I am. I'm something beyond that. So I want to transcend the shadow of love and be rational. But that does that mean I have no capacity um to love where there's no such thing as love there's only doing away with what's not love and being peaceful I would say no I would say we have the capacity to love but we need to love wisely and so we need to use our reason to transcend the idea that I am this or I am that and then rationally come to the conclusion that reason itself is a limited guide. Hmm? Reason is also part of this world. I'm not. Hmm? I'm transcendental as an Atma, a unit of consciousness. Hmm? I could use my reasoning to pursue this or that. That means that the senses that draw upon me to go after this or that, and the mind that says, I like this, it feels good, hmm? can co-opt the intellect to work for them. Hmm? And that means that human just becomes a dangerous animal, because that's what the animals do. They're, with their senses, they touch something, and it registers with them psychically, I like it, and so they go after it. Hmm? even at, at, at their own peril for, at times. Hmm? They don't have, in less complex forms of life, the kind of intellect that allows them to say, mm, that might, you know, to the same extent as humans. That might not be a wise thing to, to, to do. Hmm? Hmm? We have greater intellect, but our intellect is also a product of this world. Hmm? And the self is transcendental to the, to the limits of, 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 of intellect. Hmm? 
So it's reasonable, what I'm saying is, to conclude that reason unto itself has limits in terms of its capacity to uh, arrive at truth. So a transcendentalist will want to transcend also the intellect and its limits or to invest the intellect in such a way that he can or she can enter into a practice by which we will transcend the ups and downs of the emotional life, the dualities of hot and cold, good and bad, happy and sad, and so forth. Come to Shanti, peace, and then apply ourselves in terms of our capacity to, to love to our source. That's reasonable. That's wise love. When we just love here and there, this one, that one, that's one thing. When we love our source, that's another thing. Because, what's your name? Loisy. We've met, right? Before? No, Loisy. So if I love Loisy and I don't love Mary, you couldn't blame me. I mean, or if I love Mary and I don't love Atmananda, you couldn't blame me. But then, if I love America, but I don't love Russia, let's say, hmm, people don't blame you for that. Hmm? But if you look at it, on one side it's love, and you look at the other side, it's it's not love. It's not universal, right? That kind of love is provincial. It's not universal. It's not love every way you look at it. Hmm? If I love one person, if I love one lady, hmm, then I don't love every other lady or that one lady is going to be upset with me. <laughs> right? So, I'm not a polyamorous, but... Um, but it, <laughs> so, if you look at it, you want to have love that's universal. Hmm? So, that means... If we, if we love, if we learn at, that we are not this or that, we are an atma, and then we learn through good, good reasoning, hmm? and then we reason that that false love is one thing, but there must be real love. Hmm? Unwise love is one thing, but there must be wise love. We even see that, as I say, materially. The wiser our love is, the better it is, and the more rewarding it is even within material existence, right? So now we, we want to take that to the nth degree, and we want wise love. The wiser we get, the, the more we refine the object in which we will repose our love. So, well, what we are, again, is not this or that. We're a unit of consciousness. So, to give an analogy, we're like a ray of the sun. So if we were, were a spark of the fire, so we'll thrive in the fire. Hmm? Not trying to get together with another spark, another spark in the smoke. Hmm? Two, two, two sparks in the smoke, who, which has obscured the fire, 
which is their source, to getting together, don't make a fire. <laughs> all right. So that we need to get through the smoke. That's all this material conditioning and so forth, attachments, and and enter the fire. There we'll there we'll flourish. And if everybody in the room focuses their loving capacity rationally on the source, we're all going to get we're all going to agree with one another. And the source has to be such that it's all lovable. It can reciprocate. I mean, I can't reciprocate love the, the love of, that everyone gives me fully. Hmm? In the whole world, if the whole world was going to love me, you know, being a, I'm not the sender. Hmm? But the sender has that capacity. Hmm? So there should be a sender, just not me. That's not a bad thing. Hmm? But I know I'm not the sender. Hmm? That doesn't mean there is no sender. In fact, we're on the circumference, and we're supported by this by the center. So the spark should go in the fire. That's reasonable. So, so now, how many paths are talking about something like this? This is transcendentalism, right? It means, on the one hand, closing down the biological and psychological sense of self and the impoverished sense of love that comes out of that. The impoverished sense, impoverished sense of knowing that comes out of that. The impoverished sense of being and having. <laughs> How much can you have? And if your being is dependent on having, most people think my being is dependent upon my having or derived from my having, and you have nothing. <laughs> Not for very long. So what kind of being do you have? So this is impoverished. An impoverished sense of being, knowing, loving, go to enrich yourself, right? You have to close down that that sense. Now there's different methods for doing that, in different paths. But if they are not, if the path is not involved in doing that, which I would call ego effacing, then it's not a transcendental path. It's some other path. It may have its own virtues within the relative world. Hmm. So you can count them on you know, one hand, basically. Paths that talk about that. And within those paths, most of the participants are not involved in that. That's the difference between religion, a social-religious perspective, and a spiritual, experiential perspective. Perspective. That means most people will initially identify, perhaps, with a transcendental path, then gravitate towards a religious, social religious orientation towards it. Like, okay, this is my path. I'm a Buddhist. Okay, this is my path. I'm a Hindu. This is my path. I'm a devotee of Krishna within Hinduism. And I got the answers. Swami gave me all these cool answers. I, I, they resonate with me. This is my path. Hmm. Meanwhile, I got to get on Facebook and you know and continue on, so to speak, with my material sense of identity. And I'm on kind of this. The, it's, I just have a religious orientation to it, not a radical, transformational 
orientation to it, like Jesus, Jesus. Some people say they don't believe in the resurrection. Well, who knows? Hmm. But one thing you can say that is unbelievable for sure about Jesus, and there was a witness that heard it. He said, Forgive them, Father, for they know what not what they do. That's unbelievable. Someone could think like that. Nailed to a cross. That kind of person. That's a radical He's undergone a radical transformation. He's not just going to church on Sunday, coming to Arctic hmm, late, <laughs> something like that. That's unbelievable. Hmm. That's yoga. Hmm. That's what it means to be a transcendentalist, to undergo a radical transformation. So the different paths afford us different methods for arriving at a radical, super radical transformation. Now, no, now, granted, of course, we have to go about it a little gradually. We can't be fanatical. We can't bite off more than we can chew. Hmm? So we need good guidance and go go gradually. But you know, we have to be pushed a little bit. Hmm? Keep pushing, pushing. We need good good help, good sangha, good association, so we can grow and move in the direction in a, in, a, in a healthy, healthy way. More understanding of these these kind of things that we're talking about. You need to hear them again and again. Think about them in different ways and make them part of your being. And then you go home and you think about it. Then you reflect, hmm, yeah, that doesn't make sense over there. Why am I doing that? And so forth. And you corner yourself, so to speak. And then your focus becomes more and more central to your practice and so on and so forth. But this is the idea. Undergoing a radical, super radical transformation to go beyond your humanity. Because... You may not believe in God, but it's hard not to believe in the unbelievable love of God that you see in some people. Like I gave the example of Jesus. That's unbelievable. That's that's supernatural. Hmm? That's not natural. That's not human. Hmm? Right? That transcends limits of humanity. It means he had mastered the human passions. Hmm? That's what it means to be transcendental. Hmm? So now, different paths may have this as their ideal. We, we see this in, in the Eastern paths. We see this in Buddhism. We see this in the different uh, traditions within the banner of Hinduism, which are numerous. You have the path of knowledge, the path of action, uh, the path of mystic yoga, the path of bhakti, for, for example, to name a few. I would say you have a, an esoteric form of Christianity, which isn't, you know, right-wing, politically involved Christianity. That's not what I'm talking about, but Jesus, right? That kind of, he's, so you find some saints, for example, in the Catholic tradition in particular, early centuries after the Christ, and these people were heavy people, right? Teresa of Avila, Francis of the Cross, and others, and so forth. And, he, and we look at the symptoms in them, and we go, there's a transcendentalist. We go to Islam. Well, it's not, you know, the terrorists. It's Rumi, who was a Sufi, which is the esoteric branch, so to speak, of Islam. And interestingly enough, the more esoteric 
one becomes, or the more one goes to the heart of what the tradition is all about, the less the tradition likes them. <laughs> it was the Jews that turned in the Jesus. Yes, the yes, the 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 uh, the the average Muslim what he thinks of Rumi. Oh, that guy's great. You know, you know who Jaladin Rumi is a famous mystic within the Sufi tradition. But the Muslims they 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 think he's weird. You know, deviant or something like that. So uh, this is fairly fairly common. It's not very common within Hinduism itself. Because within Hinduism, there's this built-in idea drilled into the religious tradition that to become a mystic is the goal. And, you know, India is this mystical place, like the mother of, of, uh, of, of, of religion in the world. In one sense, the more the path becomes esoteric, the more it starts to look like Hinduism. It starts to become ahimsa, kind of starts to become vegetarian, non-vat, starts to believe in reincarnation. <laughs> and Buddhism is an outgrowth of Hinduism. Buddha was a Hindu. There's absolutely no doubt about that because the invaders at the time called the people on the other side of the Sindhu River Hindus. That's where the word comes from. And Buddha was on the other side. He was a Hindu. He rejected certain aspects of Hinduism, which we and other esoteric Hindus also reject in terms of that idea, rejected idea, being the goal of what the sacred texts of the Hindus say. Material acquisition through sacrifice and so forth and, and so on. It's a big subject. So, as you can see, they're, they're not, you know, it's a kind of handful of paths uh, out there. And now, hmm, you might, the question, you might want to narrow down, okay, which are the transcendental paths and what do they say? There's a lot of things they say that they, that by which you can understand they have something in common. And we're talking about a lot of the things that are in common. Hmm? Then they also talk about their objective, which is transcendental, slightly differently. Hmm? So they have a different perspective on transcendence. The path itself is slightly different and nuanced. So because the path is slightly different, hmm, then it's going to arrive at a slightly different address within transcendence. Hmm. All roads lead to Rome, but Rome's a big place and there are many addresses there. <laughs> Every road doesn't lead to the same same address. Hmm. So there are different paths that lead to transcendence, but they're slightly different, even while they have much in common. So a reasonable conclusion would be that they lead to different levels of penetration into transcendence, different transcendental perspectives on the absolute. Hmm? And so, and we can look at them, what they are. Hmm? What is the Buddhist perspective? What, 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 is the, what is the attainment? 
they clearly describe it. Hmm? What is the pertainment within the Gyanmarg of of the Hindus to uh, to enter into Brahman, for example, or of uh, the, those who are engaged in reverential bhakti to attain Narayana? So these are all different faces of the Absolute. Hmm? And you might want to entertain those goals to see which one you like. Hmm? That's reasonable. Hmm? And I'll tell you one thing. The idea that if I don't take up one path, I'll be at a disadvantage is not agreed by the Buddha, by Jesus, by Krishna. <laughs> they all took up one path and they got there. Hmm? And they could have taken up any of the other paths as well, but they they have certain address that they're going to. Hmm? Now, some addresses there are more inclusive than others. That's another thing. Hmm? Some addresses are definitely more inclusive. And we say that within our own tradition. Within our own tradition, which is a form of Hinduism called Vaishnavism, and a type of Vaishnavism called Gaudiya Vaishnavism, a type of Vedanta, hmm? And in our path, within our path, there are different possibilities of attainment, all of which are perfect and transcendental. So, for example, through bhakti, you can attain reverential love of God. Or through bhakti, you can can attain love and intimacy with God. Within the intimacy, you could have a paternal, a fraternal, or a romantic, or a servile relationship with the source. So these are varieties. Hmm? Because the approach is slightly nuanced, even within the path, of our path, it gives us slightly different results. Each one is perfect. Hmm? To be honest with you, which path will we choose is the path that chooses us. Hmm? How will you get there? You cannot get there with anything from this world. It has no purchasing power. You understand? Anything here that you may acquire, things, thoughts, they can't get you there. They can get you to know to go there. You can think about it well enough that I should transcend. But the thoughts themselves, they won't help. They, they, won't, they won't take you any further. Nothing from this world will give you purchasing power in that realm. Hmm? This is Martilokam. Everything dies here. Hmm? There, nothing dies. Hmm? So if you want a house, build a house where, where, where there's no death, you can't purchase it from something you got in a cemetery, hmm? in a graveyard. No. Hmm? So, how you will get there? Hmm? Which path will you choose? Hmm? Well, these paths come to us. Hmm? And through sadhus, through saintly persons. Hmm? And you better be careful who you associate with because they will impart impressions on your consciousness hmm? that's driving their own lives, teaching, hmm? and we'll be affected by those impressions and, 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 and then we be 
captured hmm? and and they have started to develop a, a, an intellectual philosophical identification with the path and the arguments by which it articulates and explains itself and, and defines itself and distinguishes itself and so forth. Hmm. And then the arguments from the other paths, they won't quite, you know, don't quite add up as much as quite, eh, it sounded like that. Because you have now impressions from that world, from that side, from that objective that's come into your life. Hmm. That's how we transcend, from that side touching us. Hmm. Through agents of that world, we get impressions, and they cause us to develop a certain psychology by which we identify with the philosophy of that path. And we think it's the most rational, the most reasonable, and and, uh, best prospect, and so forth. Hmm? Whether it is objectively or not, well, you know, that's, that's... possible. <laughs> That's another uh, discussion. But the path you'll choose is the path that chooses you. Hmm. Now you have to understand the path is choosing me. Whether you want to resist, you can resist for a while, hmm. but it will be difficult. Because even if you resist your whole life, those impressions will are, don't go away. Because they're coming from that side. Hmm. They don't go away. So they'll come back. Hmm. And there I'll find myself in another life. Suddenly attracted, for example. You know, why is it that you know somebody's some, you're here? You could have been somewhere else. You might, some reason you're here, getting these impressions. Hmm? Some people for the first time. Some people because you had impressions like this in the last life. And now you find this interesting. How many people find it interesting? Go home and talk to your parents about it or your friends. Hmm? How far? You know, how many how many people you ever have this kind of conversation with? Maybe some, but you know. So we're all a little crazy, but we should get together. <laughs> you know? There's strength strength in numbers here. <laughs> we we have something in common here, hmm. and there shouldn't be many of us. Hmm. Right? It's a rare thing. Hmm. People got to go through many lifetimes to come to this kind of interest and be a little bit materially exhausted with the prospect of having that constitutes being. Hmm? When you can't have it anyway, like I said. Hmm? There must be more. And I'm driven by that. There must be more. This This is a sattvic perspective. The idea of just, this is what life's about only. I can't live with that. So you've got to find other crazy people who just who feel that way too, and then you get together with them. Hmm? So, and and uh, and and realistically, um, I mean, uh, you take someone like myself, for example. So I'm a transcendentalist, and I have been for 50 years. Okay, since I was like 21, almost 50 years. I'm 70 now. And I've been exclusively on one path, but I know about all the paths. There's nothing I'm missing in Christianity. There's nothing I'm missing in Buddhism. I appreciate features of that. That I could lecture on Buddhism. In fact, I gave lecture recently at a Buddhist uh, um, sangha. The last time I was here, it was appreciated. I, I can lecture on that. I can lecture on Christianity. I appreciate. I mean, for me, 
any of the authentic traditions, I'm interested in them. Hmm? I see where they go. I see where there's a likeness, where there's a slight separation. I see, oh, there's a different department here that they are interested in that that side, that face of the Godhead. So you're not at the at the loss of them. Hmm? You won't lose by joining the path that is coming after you, <laughs> so to speak. You kind of gotta put up your hands. Okay, I give up. I'll go. That's good. So those are my thoughts. I hope that helps. Any further question? Yes. Uh, I didn't have a question. I just wanted to introduce. Uh, I don't know if they'll be back. They'll be able to come back before you leave. But um, these two girls here, they're um, one of missionaries. They came to my came to our home and they were like, "Can we do any service for you?" And I was like, "Former missionaries from the Mormon Church." Yeah, we are from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I know about the Book of Mormon too. And Joseph, uh, was his name Joseph? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of their own pocket, they're going around doing service for people. Mm-hmm. Very laudable. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mormons tend to have a little interest in other religious traditions. They don't seem to be as closed as some of the Western Abrahamic traditions. Less, less, uh, more, more inclusive. I found we have uh, there is a a uh, very um, I want to say prominent uh, branch of our tradition in uh, in, in, Salt, in Salt Lake City, which is a which is a Hindu kind of uh, a Mormon. Uh, that's where the Ark went and set up, and it's prominent there. It's very popular. Many Mormons come and celebrate there. So it's nice of you to come. I appreciate it. Anything else? Um, I was um, contemplating um, the connection with nature through the god, through you know demigods and like that and such. I, I <clears throat> previously didn't really have any <laughs> concern about it or thoughts about it. It was just sort of not something I thought about. But recently, kind of feeling more of a connection with nature and just sort of waking up to the fact that like hmm, there's gods behind you know nature there's there's a you know beings behind it and found that very comforting actually in a lot of ways so um but i just kind of assumed well this must be like a development on my body maybe this is just coming you know from the development of the path <clears throat> so <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, like, um, you know, what do you think about that, and uh, how should I see that? Well, it's an aspect of our uh, teaching overall. And the basic idea is that is that we have senses. So we have a sense of sight, a sense of hearing, tasting, touching. Mm-hmm. But in order for these uh, senses through which, through which we kind of go into the world, hmm? um, for them to function, we're dependent upon things in nature. For example, in order for us to see, well, we need the sun, we need light. Hmm? In order for us to speak, we need wind. Hmm? So we are, um, materially speaking, a, a microcosm of the macrocosm of nature. Hmm? So we're made up of 
materially speaking, nature in a particular combination, and we're a microcosm of the macrocosm. So, so to make this connection between our ability to function as a sensual being hmm, and it being dependent upon features of nature is a way in which we proceed in life with gratitude. Hmm? So we have gratitude for the sun. Hmm? And in, in yoga, for example, there's the famous Surya Namaskar, which is a, it's an asana posture. So you say go like this and to, to the sun in the morning. It may look heathen or whatever, but what it is is an acknowledgement that in order for him to see, I'm dependent upon the sun, hmm. and so on. So there's so for all all of the functions of our senses and our psychology, there's it's traced to aspects of of the macrocosmic natural world. Hmm. And so we proceed in life with some regard for nature, some gratitude. And when you said when you love someone, they tell you all their secrets. So rather than trying to examine nature, like modern science does, and take it apart and manipulate it into a cell phone, you know, or whatever, to improve our lives and so forth. Or just take nature and move it according to human whims. I think we'd like to do this, so let's take nature and twist it like this. And how's that feel? And try this one over here. And I mean, it's not entirely bad, but I mean, it's like there's a whole different approach to it, which is rather than try to conquer nature for human purposes, whims, whatever they we conceive might be the important or is the goal that arises in our human mind or with our human intellect. Hmm. To say that there's something that transcends the limits of our humanity, God, hmm. nature is one, one, one face of God, so to speak. Hmm. Um, it doesn't move, you know, what did they say? It doesn't move without him or something, or, you know, he made it, <laughs> they say. Uh, so, uh, so if you interact with nature with gratitude, that's the beginning of love. Like you tell your kids, say, say please. Okay, say thank you. Okay. That's beginning learning how to love, right? So we we approach nature with with gratitude. Then there's the possibility that she may show us her secrets. Hmm? What is her secret? Her biggest secret is that she has a soul, and it's you, the observer. There's a way to interact with nature that nature can turn you to look within and see all that, and begin to see all that you are. But if you simply try to exploit nature for being what you think you are, but you can't keep, nature's going to go. Volcano, you know, earthquake, whatever, you know, you know. You think you figured me out? Well, you know, here's some rain, you know. You thought you, whatever. You're not going to control the natural world. If you can see the clouds and bring rain, and these are just these are just very childish ideas to think that we're we're getting close to controlling nature, or even even artificial intelligence. Hmm? 
That's a big field, right? The idea in artificial intelligence is ultimately to create a robot hmm, that has feeling and consciousness. That's the idea. And once you do that, then you will have proved there's, that there's no God or no soul. Except that if you create a perfect robot that functions just like a human, it'll start wondering if there's a God and there's a soul, because that's what humans do. <laughs> you just can't get away from that. One minute. So, <laughs> so So the anyway to approach uh, nature in that way is part of our our uh, tradition, if you will, and um, and I was going to say with artificial intelligence, this is a big field now. And then there's talk about oh, watch out, you know, we're going to create robots and they're going to take people out of work, which is probably true, and they could even take over humans. And there's all and we're going to create you know the perfect robot and this and that. Well, to be honest with you, it, it's the progress in artificial intelligence in terms of the goal, which I just stated, was like to make a perfect robot, right? Hmm? Make that Siri, you know, like, is that her name? You know, like, yeah. actually, that you could actually fall in love with her or something, you know. So the progress towards that goal is like saying, after climbing a tree, that you're now closer to the moon. That's how far away that is. It's just human, like hubris. You know, it just, it's it, the vastness. I mean, just look and see how the how the sense of the even the, the span and distance of of the of space has grown hmm, in in our own time. How how many how many galaxies there are how many planets how far it's just it's to think that we'll, we'll, we'll control that conquer that grab that in the fists of our intellect it's, 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 it's a folly it will, this is a te- very strong teaching in our school it will const- nature will constantly delude and evade and, and and who knows throw an asteroid your way or, or whatever hmm? so um so anyway, that's the basic idea. The fact that you know you're about getting a little grounded in that. You know, sometimes in our path you can like skip over that and think about esoteric things. It's nice that w- what you should see is that as you progress in bhakti in our school, hmm, which picks up within the Hindu tradition where what I was just talking about leaves off. Hmm, but you may come from a different background culture and, and just hear the arguments for bhakti and identify with them and what's up here. Hmm? But if you're actually doing that properly, you'll start to identify with the, the base, the ground also. Hmm? And, and, and and just like we see in Arjuna in the Gita, what yeah, in the end of the sixth chapter, and I've written a commentary there, what it means for him to be a devotee. All the other lower things have come that they are attained by other paths, for example. Even the human balance that we were talking about in psychology, that's, that's attained within the context of bhakti. So rather than looking for bhakti rasa, we should be looking for those things. So yeah, it's working.
<laughs> to be short, yeah. <laughs> okay. We stop there. Shri Shri Gaurantananda ki jai, Radha Madhava ki jai, Raja Gopal ki jai, Gaurabhaktavinda ki jai, Vanchakalpaturu vyascha, Vipasindu viva cha, Patitanum bhavani vaishnavivna mulamaha, Nanda Kauri vaishnavinda ki jai.